We praise you. We worship you, Lord, and magnify you. We lift you up. You are worthy to be praised and adored. We love you and we thank you. We honor you. We thank you so much for allowing us to assemble freely in your name. And we want to hold on to that freedom and extend that freedom to your church worldwide. So we thank you for the honor and the privilege of meeting with you today in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen. <clears throat> I was thinking about, um, well, our afternoon session, we, we always, uh, until the Lord says something different, we're studying the persecuted church, making sure that our prayers are current for those believers who are not as free as they could be to serve the Lord. So we're going to talk about, uh, we usually, there are at least 60 nations throughout the world where uh, Christians are persecuted, where Christianity is is forbidden, uh, where evangelizing is definitely forbidden, and where Christians are actually arrested, tortured, murdered, and punished for their faith. And uh, so the Lord has led us to begin to pray uh, for their freedom and their release and that the gospel would continue to increase in those areas because of the threat that is posed to them it's very easy for people to lose heart in their uh, desire to share Christ with people just because of the danger to them so we've been studying this I guess for maybe the last couple years now that we've dedicated it ourselves to it and I understand more and more why God has has mandated that and it is because uh, our freedoms in this country are threatened every day uh, we we know that you know, and sometimes if you don't think about it too much, uh, sometimes you're kind of oblivious to it. You don't think it's really a problem, but when people are being sued because they express their faith, we're in danger of all losing our freedoms. Amen. So uh, I think as we show compassion and pray for those who are who do not have that freedom. God will extend that mercy to us if we will pray. That's not the only reason. It does have that effect of blessing us as we bless others. But also our prayers do make a difference in the lives of those individuals. They open doors for people to be able to go over and rescue people, to help people. Uh, There are are several organizations that we know of uh, that extend help to persecuted Christians and so we want to continue to pray for those organizations to do their work freely and unhindered and to bless them too. We do contribute to them on a, on a monthly basis and so whenever we have an opportunity uh, to do these things we want to show people that we really mean what our prayers are expressing. Uh, we mean for them to be helped. Uh, the part of the work of the church is to remember those who are imprisoned and remember those to the Lord who are not free to uh, live as God would have them to live. And so this is very, very much a mandate for the church. It's as much a mandate for us to pray for these people as it is for us to go out and share the gospel with people. And so this is a compassion that God extends to them that we remember our brothers and sisters who are imprisoned and in bonds and chained and not as free as God wants them to be. So um, I'm continuing with our newsletters from Voice of the Martyr Netza Ministry that you can you can go on their website anytime and check some of the uh, testimonies on there. Uh, There are some extraordinary situations in the world where people are uh, boldly proclaiming Christ and uh, not backing down from their stand in the Lord and I think it's very very inspiring for us uh, in our situation here in this country uh, because with with people uh, wanting to control speech and wanting to control our words so forth and so on and, and to dictate Uh, what we can say and what we cannot say, uh, we are in danger of losing our freedom of expression. And don't ever think that we're not. 
even though it's a quote-unquote movement, because of the way uh, mass communication is structured, it has power and it has a voice. And it has a much larger voice really than it should have, but still we live in, an, in a country where freedom of speech is allowed, just like freedom of religion, expression of, of who you are and what you believe. And so what we need to do is make sure that it doesn't get to the place where laws are formulated, where we cannot, uh, we've got enough of them already in force, where we can't meet in certain places uh, for religious purposes. Uh, we can't freely pray anymore. It used to be uh, prayer never really bothered anybody in public places or when they would stand and have a moment of prayer in a, a school just because they wanted God's hand of mercy over that school environment. Now we've got things flipped around where schools are not allowed to not allowed to bring guns in there so it's a, advertised as a gun-free zone. So now we see people who have issues will come in and just take target practice at a bunch of humans. And so it really has uh, gotten far, far out of hand. But God, we want to see God reverse these things, and we're seeing God uh, reverse these things. Uh, the answer to what's going on is not more laws to restrict what we do. It really isn't, because people who do these things don't obey the law anyway. Uh, somebody who goes in to shoot up a school isn't law-abiding to begin with. So making more laws that they don't abide by really is not the answer. And so we all know that. Uh, it's easy to come up with a, oh, we need more gun control, whatever that means. Uh, and what that usually means is that people who have legitimate reasons for carrying a gun or for owning a gun get more and more laws slapped against them than the people who don't. And so uh, this is a, a an issue of uh, really morality and common sense and decency more than it is anything else. Many of these people who get out and commit these acts are feel that they are victims. They feel that uh, people are against them and, and this kind of thing, and they happen to be able uh, to get something to hurt somebody with because that's what they want to do. You know, it used to be that people would be victimized. You want to hurt somebody, but that thought passes. Well, these people tend to hold on to it because that's all they think about. And then you've got other, other forces that feed that anger and feed that hatred. The church is not feeding hatred. Amen. That's not us. And so we have to continue to get our message out and get it out in a clear fashion that we are uh, loving and forgiving people. We're not trying to get even with anybody or trying to be aggressive or angry toward anybody or restrict anybody's freedom. We just have a message from God that allows us to be able to let people hear it so in their time of need they will have an answer. And that's really what Christianity is. We're not trying to um, turn this world upside down, so to speak, with some kind of forced thing. But just in conversation, you begin to share the things of God with people as part of your freedom to express how you feel in your heart. And so it doesn't have to go to the level of uh, you're indoctrinating people and you're turning them against certain people, so forth and so on. Uh, that's the way the devil perverts the message. So we have to continue to give our message of love and forgiveness through Christ and in the blood atonement and what that can do to help a person's life and really what God people are missing is that connection to God that really is the answer uh, it doesn't sound like the answer to a sinner but it really is the answer and so when you have the answer and you're sold on it you'll be willing to share that answer with other people and I think that's the thing that encourages me about studying people who are in persecuted nations that they are so sold on the love of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ that they hold on to their message and they're willing to share it with anybody that uh, God will open the door for them to share it with. And this is really how the gospel is preached and how people are saved. So I'm going to share some things from a couple. I forgot that we hadn't been here. We weren't here for a couple months. January, I think the weather prohibited us. February was the conference. 
And so we're a couple of uh, months behind. I'm going to try and catch up. But I thought I would share uh, what I got this month in March and also from, I think, January's newsletter this is. I wanted to make sure we covered North Korea today because, as you know, if you haven't heard, uh, the uh, president of North Korea has agreed or asked to meet with our president to talk about their nuclear weapons program. And I think that's that's pretty progressive, amen, as far as what we've been able to do, amen. So we've, um, you know, somehow politicians tend to what they call kick the can down the road. Uh, they keep saying they're going to do something about things that never get done. They pass it off for the next administration to take care of. And so, uh, but God. See, there comes a time when God says, okay, enough is enough. Let's deal with this stuff and let's get it, you know, let's, let's get it on. Maybe the, the best man eventually wins. So um, I'll do this one. I'll do this one first. Uh, this one is uh, on Egypt. And that was the one we had. This is for this month, the month of March. And uh, it talks about Christian persecution, um, particularly Muslim persecution. Um, the number one problem in most of these areas is the Muslim uh, oppression that comes uh, in day-to-day living for Christians. This has little to do with ISIS and some of those more aggressive military type or guerrilla type military uh, Muslim uh, um, uh powers but this one is Muslims in everyday life sometimes are allowed uh, to persecute beat Christians uh, run them out of town lie on them and turn whole communities against them anything they can do to make it hard for a Christian they are freely allowed to do in some countries so this is from the nation of um, Egypt and it says uh, we thought we would be wiped out I will never forget the response of Christian leaders in Egypt as they watched an Islamic terrorist group take over their country and begin to campaign to eliminate Christian worship. We thought we would be wiped out so we decided to take advantage of whatever opportunities we had left to spread the gospel. See, people, sometimes people when they're persecuted, they want to get more involved for God. I mean, instead of less. And so he says, a Christian leader later told me, this inspired me, especially when you consider that the people he wished to reach were Muslims. They were compelled by Christ's love to reach out to the people who sought to eliminate them. In 2011, the Muslim Brotherhood gained control of more than half the seats in Parliament, and their candidate, Mohamed Morsi, was elected president the following year. Like other Islamist groups in Egypt, including Al-Qaeda and ISIS, the Muslim Brotherhood was founded to, quote, purify their nation, place it under Islamic Sharia law, and unify it under a single global Islamic government or caliphate. With support from Egyptian military, moderates overthrew the Islamists in 2013, but that year of radical rule in Egypt showed the true character of our Christian family members in Egypt. Their bravery before, during, and since serves as an inspiration to us all. Christians in Egypt face tremendous persecution even before the short-lived Islamist takeover. Christian girls were abducted by Muslim extremists and and forced into sexual slavery, and Christians were routinely refused medical treatment by Islamist doctors. When the Islamists gained official power in 2012, however, the personal risk to Christians became a serious threat to the very existence of Christian churches in Egypt. Tanks rolled through the streets and the new authorities directed attacks on majority Christian areas of Cairo. Six years later, Voice of the Martyrs is still supporting Christian children orphaned in these attacks. While some Christians fled during this period of increased persecution, many instead focused on how to maximize their actions for eternal effect. They placed God's eternal purpose ahead of any concern for their own security. Our Egyptian Christian brothers and sisters are a wonderful example to us. For many years we have had the privilege of helping them 
not only witness for Christ in their own nation, but also send missionaries to surrounding Arab nations such as Libya, Sudan, and Yemen, some of the world's most dangerous mission fields. The result? More Muslims have come to Christ in the last two decades by far than since the introduction of Islam 1400 years ago. In this month's newsletter, you will experience the power of God that transforms even the most violent Muslims. Uh, Join me in praising and thanking God for our bold and faithful Egyptian Christian family members. And please continue to pray for them. Their witness for Christ is a powerful part of today's historic move of God, drawing Muslims to himself. May we be inspired by their example, and may we faithfully serve them as they advance God's kingdom. So uh, we're going to do the story of, I think it's Walid. Yeah, page four. Okay. Walid hated his Christian co-worker so much that he planned to kill him. But a bold act of love set him on a new course directly to Christ. After listening to his co-worker sing Christian worship songs for several days as they painted a house in Cairo, Walid had finally had enough. His ultra-conservative Muslim father, who had five wives and 32 children, had taught him early in life that he should hate all Christians. That deep-seated hatred had already led him to beat Hyatham with a wooden stick for singing along with the Christian songs playing in his earbuds. And since they hadn't stopped the singing, Walid decided to silence him permanently. One night after work, Walid grabbed a knife and followed Hyatham into the streets. After making sure they were alone, he attacked Hyatham from behind, stabbing him in the side. Hyatham turned to look at his attacker and fell to the ground, writhing in pain, and Walid made eye contact with him before fleeing the scene. Expecting a visit from the police, Walid hid anxiously at his aunt's house. I tried calling some of my friends to see if Hyatham were alive or dead, he said. They told me someone attacked him and they had to remove one of his kidneys. To his great surprise, Walid also learned that Hyatham hadn't fled the hadn't filed a police report against him, yet he knew Hyathan had seen his face. A determined grace. Weeks later, Walid felt secure enough to leave his aunt's house and begin to looking, begin looking for a new job. But while walking down the street one day, a taxi struck him, crushing one leg and one arm. Walid spent the next 15 days in the hospital. As he lay in his hospital bed one morning, he was startled to see Hyatham and a few of his Christian friends walking in, carrying fruit and drinks. Walid screamed, thinking they had come to kill him. Why are you screaming? Hyatham asked. I am just coming to say that I am sorry for what happened to you. Hyatham could sense Walid's fear as they began to talk. Don't worry, he assured him. I'll never do something bad to you. You are really dear to my heart. I love you. How come, Walid asked nervously, I attacked you. You still love me. My God told me to love you whatever you do to me, Hyatham replied. No, you don't love me, Walid yelled. You are going to do something. You hate me. Realizing that he had upset Walid, Hyatham placed the fruit and drinks on the table and left with his friends. After Walid was released from the hospital, a friend from the painting crew checked in on him regularly to see how he was doing. He also gave Walid money during the several months that he couldn't work. At first, Walid simply thanked him for his generosity, but as the money kept coming, he grew suspicious. Why do you give me this money, he asked. Someone knows your case, the friend said. They gave me this money to give to you. For days, Walid pestered his friend for the name of the donor, then finally he insisted on knowing him. It's Hyatham, his friend told him. Walid decided he couldn't accept the money he'd received since leaving the hospital. The Quran had taught him never to let, non-Muslim, let a non-Muslim have authority over him, so he returned the money to Hyatham. You are not better than me, Walid told him. Just take your money. Listen, you are like my brother, Hyatham replied. You are dear to me. I will not take it. The two continued to squabble until finally Hyatham pointed to a nearby beggar. You can just give it to this poor lady, he said, grabbing the money and handing it to her.
The hatred Walid felt for Hayatham suddenly turned to admiration as he realized he had never seen anyone like him before. Overwhelmed by guilt, Walid recalled all the times that he had hurt Hayatham only to receive love in return. It made no sense to continue hating him. From then on, Walid considered Hayatham his friend as long as he didn't talk about Christianity. Walid soon returned to work with the painting crew, and as before, Hayatham and another Christian blasted worship music through their earbuds while they worked. Although Walid still objected to their music and singing, instead of beating them, he respectfully moved to another part of the building. After working until 1.30 a.m. one morning to finish an urgent job, they decided to meet at a 24-hour cafe. When they were ready to head home for a few hours of sleep before starting the next day's work, Walid realized he had missed the last train home and would have to spend the rest of his night at the cafe. Don't stay there, Hayatham said. Please come with me. Walid knew he shouldn't stay at a Christian's house, but he also knew he would sleep better if he stayed with Hayatham. Exhausted, he accepted the offer. Hayatham insisted that his guest take the bedroom. Walid again accepted, and as he walked into the room, he suddenly found himself standing before a wall-sized mural of Jesus. I was completely shocked when I saw the picture of Jesus, he told a voice of the martyr worker. Staring at the mural, Walid had mixed feelings of awe and remorse. He wondered how Christians knew that Jesus was the Son of God. After Hayatham left the room, Walid's heart began to fill with hatred. The feelings of awe vanished and he spat on the mural of Jesus. As he slept that night, Walid dreamed of two angels that showed him a bloody slain lamb. Suddenly, the blood of the lamb covered his eyes. As he wiped the blood away, he could see that the lamb was now fully, uh, fully healed and alive. I felt the lamb was calling me and asking me to follow him, he recalled. When I woke up, all I wanted to do was go away from the house. Wally didn't tell anyone about the dream, and the next night he stayed awake as long as he could in fear that the dream would return. Maybe Allah is punishing me because I slept in a Christian house and I need to repent, he thought. The next day he visited a local mosque to pray and meet with an imam. He continued to do his best to be a good Muslim, but he still feared a return of the dream each night. When he visited a mullah to discuss the nagging dream, the Islamic leader only yelled at him. As he endured the mullah's abuse, Walid thought he heard another voice telling him the mullah was only after his money. When he asked the mullah if he'd heard the voice, he was accused of having an evil spirit. How come all this time I have committed to Muslim praying and there is an evil spirit dwelling in my, in my body, Walid asked him. Don't worry, just give me some money and I will give it to the Muslim leader, the mullah said. His suspicions confirmed Walid left the mosque. He immediately decided to leave Islam, but he still felt something was missing. After a few, after a few, uh, a few days later at work, one of the Christian painters noticed that Walid seemed distant. He asked him how he was doing, and Walid told him about his dream and the strange experience with the mullah. The Christian then gave him his pastor's phone number and suggested Walid discuss everything with him. Walid called the pastor who listened patiently as he wrestled with questions about God. Instead of asking for money, afterward the pastor simply told him to pray about everything. Just call out to God and he will reveal himself to you, the pastor urged. Walid hung up the phone and ran to the roof of the building he had been painting. Struggling to understand his thoughts and feelings, he yelled his questions at God. Did you create me to suffer? Are you real? I was just trying to talk this out in front of God, who I didn't know yet, he said. Walid said he then saw a vision of Jesus full of light. When the vision ended, he felt joy and comfort for the first time. I felt like I was a changed person, he said. Walid gave his life to Christ on the spot and prayed for the first time as a Christian.
He started looking for a church to attend just days later, and during the first service he attended, the pastor gave him a Bible and told him he was welcome to worship there. While he kept his faith a secret from his family for as long as possible. After a year, however, his family learned the truth and his brother beat, brothers beat him until he lost consciousness. When Walid awoke, he discovered bruises and wounds all over his body. His brothers warned him that he would be beaten again if he continued worshiping Jesus. As Walid recovered from the painful beating, Matthew 10.33 came to mind. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. I told my brothers, I profess I met the true God. I love him. I am a Christian, Walid said. Immediately his brothers beat him again. The beatings then turned into a daily occurrence. At one point they bound his hands and legs, leaving him unable to move for long periods of time. They fed him scraps from the family meals as if he were a dog. They also took his phone and other belongings. Eventually, Walid's family brought a mullah to their home to convince him to return to Islam. He told Walid that that the evil Christian spirit would not leave him until he made a pilgrimage to Mecca in Saudi Arabia. His family then took him to Mecca, continually to beat him even in the Islamic Holy Land, but he managed to escape and return to Egypt. During this time I was alone, but Jesus' voice was with me and was comforting me, encouraging me, he said. God helped me survive. Today, Walid lives in the churches. Walid lives with his church's choir director in Cairo. He still hides from his family, believing they want to kill him as he searches for work. He has taken on many new challenges as a Christian convert from Islam, but he is not alone in his adversity. Converts from Islam to Christianity face many difficulties including expulsion from families, divorce by Muslim spouses, loss of children, loss of jobs. Walid is grateful, however, that he has many Christians in his life who care for him, including the man he once tried to kill. Amen. Yeah. So that's Walid's story. See, it's been, Amen. Amen. Praise God. It's very hard in some of these places to be beaten every day. Uh, I know uh, the young girl we prayed for, we still pray for Rifka Berry. Remember her? She was uh, living here, a Muslim girl living in the United States. And uh, her, her father actually tried to kill her. and She's been uh, on the run from them over 10 years now. She just can't surface for fear that they will find out who she is. And... Um, and uh, return and try to kill her so they are very serious about uh, their vendettas against people who live that leave that religion men aren't you thankful you're a christian thankful for god amen i am too i am too i i can't thank god enough because i look at these people this could be us you know trying to serve god under that kind of pressure and that kind of fear so uh, we're very very thankful lord that you Amen. You're here for us at all times. So, praise God. Amen. Amen. I always like seeing some of the pictures. There was a picture. Oh, yeah, this one. I think this is a picture. I'm going to pass this around when I'm done. But I think this is a a sack of Bibles that these uh, Christians have been given. They're cutting a hole in the bag. And you can see their books in here. And they're in total darkness. And they're... uh, opening this up you know and they can't do it out in the open this is in North Korea okay Uh, it says here the cure for evil evil exists everywhere because of our fallen nature but the North Korean government is an example of institutionalized evil the country's leader Kim Jong-un exchanges threats of nuclear war with United States and prisons any North Korean who even hints at disloyalty to his regime and arrests and tortures tourists suspected of evangelizing or committing relatively minor crimes. Last year, an American tourist imprisoned for stealing a propaganda poster was treated so badly that it led to his death. 
This kind of systematic evil should not be surprising in a nation that demands worship of a human and deliberately removes God from its society. Since the founding of communist North Korea in 1948 under Kim Il-sung, the government has destroyed churches and any other visible signs of Christianity in the country. Christians, especially church leaders, have been routinely targeted, rounded up, and sometimes killed. Only a few show churches exist today in Pyongyang as propaganda to support the country's claims of religious freedom. Now they did the same thing in Russia. You know, the state is the church. So they have these mock churches that they set up to give the illusion to people that there is some freedom of worship there. Becoming a Christian or even associating with a Christian is very dangerous. Children are taught to spy on their parents. So North Korean Christians pray with their eyes open to avoid raising suspicion among children or neighbors. Okay. Getting caught with even a few pages of a Bible can lead to imprisonment in one of North Korea's prison camps where thousands of Christians are thought to be suffering today. As we learn about atrocities that occur inside North Korea, we should remember that the believers facing this evil are our brothers and sisters in Christ. I am encouraged when I see how God is working through courageous Christians who have counted the cost and given great risk to share the gospel with North Koreans. I have had the privilege of meeting a few of them and hearing their stories, some of which we share in this month's newsletter. One North Korean I met recently as a young woman named Hannah who first heard the gospel in North Korea on a forbidden radio broadcast. After defecting to South Korea, she became a Christian and now broadcasts the gospel back into North Korea for a Christian radio program like the one she listened to as a child. I also met a man named Sang Shul who was among a group of several hundred Christians recently exposed by spies who infiltrated their underground church. Because of the immediate danger to him and his family, he had no choice but to flee the country. Another amazing story in this month's newsletter is that of a woman who heard about Christ for the first time after her torturer in time from her torturer in a North Korean labor camp. Our North Korean brothers and sisters in Christ know that the cure for evil is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray for our persecuted family members who follow Jesus amid such evil. Pray too that the love of Christ will soften the hearts of Kim Jong-un and other government leaders bringing them to a place of repentance and complete surrender to Christ. As you read the stories of this month's newsletter, I pray that you will be inspired to stand with our persecuted family in North Korea through prayer and action. Okay, praise God. Okay, so this this story is about the Hannah. I don't think that's her real name. They have it in in, uh, quotation marks, but the girl who does the radio broadcast. The young woman settled into her seat in front of a microphone in a closet-sized studio. Hannah skimmed through the script, took a breath, and began to read. Once an eager listener on the other side of the broadcast, Hannah is now a familiar voice of forbidden Christian programming that is broadcast into North Korea. When Hannah was a child in North Korea, she spent nearly every night huddled next to the radio with her father. It was illegal to listen to the radio, but we did it in secret, Hannah said. Though forbidden, her father managed to purchase one so they could tune into South Korean radio radio stations. Even today, the North Korean government attempts to jam outside signals and confiscate illegal radios. Those caught with one are arrested. Her father was cautious, warning the family to keep their radio a secret. They waited until after midnight when all the neighbors were asleep to listen to it. When they did, they heard about a world that was completely different from the one described by their North Korean leaders and by Hannah's teachers at school. You see, there is a way to get truth to people. They, the teachers at school, you see how schools indoctrinate 
kids and we have it here in this nation you know they in colleges they don't want any free speech anymore they just want you to say things they think are acceptable uh, to be said and um, you know we have to be careful as Christians to always stand for the things that allow the gospel to be freely spread because that's our main job is that the gospel be preached um, even if it means other people have freedom as well but uh, we can't allow people who don't like our message to shout us down you know this like you know you'll see some stupid shows like the view you know it needs to be taken off television it's just an indoctrine and propaganda piece but they'll get on there and they'll have one poor little token Christian there and they beat them all up, shout them down, tell them off, call them stupid, do all these things to discredit them. And then people who hear this look at it and think, well, that's the thing to do. We don't have to, we shouldn't let those people talk because we don't like what they say. And we'll call you names, you know, you're, you're this or that. All that accusation, all that comes from hell. And so I look at it as the devil's desperation now. He's operating out in the open, but that doesn't mean he can't get people on his side. And so we have to take authority over that and bind that up. Number one, don't look at them stupid shows. You understand what I'm saying? And tell your kids not to look at them. You know, and and when that stuff comes up, you tell them that that is not right. Those women don't know what they're talking about. You got me? just a bunch of crazy old women who do what they do for money you know what I'm saying I work hard for mine and you know you got to have an education and then some to make a living but they can sit there and call people names and get paid for it you see what I'm saying so you know let's speak bankruptcy on them crazy TV shows amen let's get them off and get take the money out from under them let's keep it moving so okay so anyway this is a story about them they found that what was described on those radio shows was different from what their North Korean leaders and Hannah's teachers taught her at school. She had a strong relationship with her father and they often discussed what they heard on radio programs. It's really important to share truth with your children, with your family, with everybody. Amen. Hannah's father especially enjoyed listening to Christian sermons. As a teacher, as a teenager, she thought the sermons were boring. But her father explained that the sermons helped him figure out the truth about life, why he was born, and the meaning of humanity. At the time, Hannah was interested in other programs. The music was very different than North Korea, she recalled. It made me curious. As they listened and learned about the world outside, the family began to consider a risky option, leaving their home country. The original plan was that I would leave first, and after they made more money for the broker's fee, the whole family would come, Hannah said. While she couldn't, she couldn't know it at the time, the day the broker came to sneak her into China was the last time she would see her family. From China, Hannah traveled on to Thailand, where she was placed in a temporary detention center for North Koreans. Then, after being cleared and released from the center, she eventually made it to South Korea. Hannah was 19 and alone in a new country, and she missed her family. One day, while passing by a church, she decided to go in and introduce herself as a North Korean. They welcomed me into the church, and at that, and at that time, it was the most difficult time of my life, and the church was there. Hannah began attending the church. And as she listened to the sermon, she remembered those that she and her father had listened to on the radio. I definitely grew a lot in faith coming into South Korea, she said. Her family never made it out of North Korea. Shortly after Hannah left, the North Korean leader Kim Jong-il died and tightened border security made defection almost impossible. Once a year, she pays a broker to place a secret call to her family, but the calls are kept short so they can't be monitored. During one call, Hannah learned that her beloved father had passed away, 
and more recently she hasn't been able to contact her family at all. The situation back there with my family is very difficult and painful, she says. She prays that she will hear soon from her mother. From listening to speaking, Hannah made her life made a life for herself in South Korea and continued to grow in faith, but she longed for meaningful Christian service. So when an elder in her church mentioned a radio program that Voice of the Martyr Korea produces and broadcasts into North Korea, she knew it was a missing piece. She soon became involved in the radio work, confident that her father would be proud of the way she was reaching out to her countrymen. Hannah now spends two Saturday mornings each month recording Christian programs at the studio. The band shortwave radio broadcasts are just one way Voice of the Martyr works to spread the gospel inside North Korea. Understanding the radio broadcast's effectiveness, the communist government attempts to block this particular radio station. Earlier this year, electronic interference became so severe that Voice of the Martyr radio engineers decided to switch frequencies. Hannah's announcement of Christian music, scripture reading, and sermons in the North Korean dialect engaged North Korean listeners in a way that a South Korean announcer would not. After years of separation, North Korean and South Korean dialects differ enough that North Koreans can have trouble understanding South Koreans. A recent North Korean defector who is not a Christian told Voice of the Martyr staff he regularly listened to the radio broadcast in North Korea simply because he appreciated the announcer's soft voice. He, had, he even had the program schedule memorized. As a former listener, Hannah understands how important these programs are in reaching North Koreans with the gospel. And she is sure her involvement in radio work is not an accident. There was a plan for me to be involved with radio too, she said. It is definitely not by chance. When she finishes recording, Hannah picks up her bag and returns home. While she may not see the immediate results of her work, she knows that all over North Korea, people are listening. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. So um, this part, the middle part here is the prayer thing. So we'll come back to that when we pray. Um, I'm going to read this one from another one from North Korea. Uh, Kian Ja understood why the female guard had interrogated her about her latest trip to China and about her daughter's defection to South Korea, but she couldn't grasp why she kept calling odd que- kept asking odd questions about something called Christianity. I first learned about Christianity from my torturer, Kian Ja said. The guard's confusing and persistent questioning piqued her curiosity. At the first time of her arrest, she had no belief system or concept of God, but now she had to know what made this Christianity so dangerous. Isn't that something? This girl's not even a Christian. She's being interrogated as though she were, and that's the gospel. You understand what I'm saying? That's, that's how she got wind of the gospel. Kyung Ja had been detained twice before for illegally crossing into China. This time, however, was worse. Instead of serving only a couple of months of re-education at a labor camp, she endured repeated torture, most likely because of her daughter's defection. After brutally beating Kyung Ja for two months, the guard realized she did not have any ties to Christians within North Korea. She then sent her, now a fragile 63 pounds, to a labor camp, and Kyung Ja took her questions about Christianity with her. What is God, she asked a fellow prisoner she met. What is the Bible? There is such a thing, the prisoner quietly replied. There is a book, but do not ask. Be quiet. The prisoner's fear confirmed Kim Jha's suspicion that Christianity was a forbidden religion followed only by criminals. Kim Jha spent the next six months in the labor camp, enduring backbreaking labor and inhumane conditions. She saw inmates die every day from the horrid conditions or injuries sustained in merciless beatings. Kim Ja longed for freedom. Her husband had died during one of her previous detainments, and she didn't want to miss out on life with her daughter, who had defected to South Korea. 
She also wanted to get out so she could learn more about Christianity. Then, after six months of forced labor, Kianja was released. She thinks they released her because she told them the truth about her trip to China. She had left because she had to find a way to feed her family. At that time, many people crossed the border to China to feed their families. And upon return to North Korea, they usually were re-educated with a few months of hard labor rather than punished more severely. Kyung Ja's daughter in South Korea eventually raised enough money to help her mother defect and arrange to have a pastor help her. Then, during a phone call with her daughter, Kyung Ja finally received some answers to her questions about Christianity. She learned that the church is real and so is God, and so is the God it worships. Kyung Ja soon placed her faith in Jesus and found true freedom in the God she had first heard about while being beaten by a prison guard. Today in South Korea, Kyung Ja never misses a worship service and she eagerly shares her testimony with others while still coping with the effects of her traumatic imprisonment including anxiety, depression, nightmares, and irregular heartbeats, she still finds peace in Christ. She is currently involved in a Voice of the Martyr sponsored program that disciples North Korean Christians and equips them to reach out to North Korean defectors with the gospel. Reflecting on how seeds of the gospel were planted in her heart by her torturer, she is grateful to God. Her love for Christ grows stronger every day, and she is now willing to follow him unto death. As I look back, she said, it is all God's grace. Amen. Praise God. This is, uh, I'm going to share a little bit about what the prison camps are like in uh, North Korea. Kim Ja spent six months in a harsh labor camp called... Uh, but there are far worse prison camps in North Korea. Uh, about 30,000 of North Korea's estimated 100,000 Christians are thought to be suffering in one of the known camps. These camps are reserved for prisoners convicted of serious crimes, such as attempting to flee the country, having unauthorized contact with South Koreans, or being a Christian. North Korean defectors say Christianity is considered as dangerous as narcotics in North Korea. The government views Christianity as a sin and as a way the West tries to invade its country with Western and capitalist ideas. Some have reported that the North Korean government even likens Christian missionary work to vampirism. In the camps, inmates are often locked in cages like animals forced to stand for hours in torturous positions and beaten until they vomit blood. Nearly 40% of inmates die of starvation, while others commonly, commonly lose up to half their body weight and survive on rats. Inmates' relatives are often also detained, considered guilty by association. As the gospel quietly spreads in parts of the country, so did the fear among North Koreans that they might be suspected of Christian faith. We were really afraid of Christianity because anybody could get executed or killed, even if you were looking at a Bible, uh, Sang Chul said. But in 2013, Sang Chul witnessed the power of life of a life devoted specifically to Jesus. The commitment of a pastor named Han Chung Ryo enabled Sang Chul to go uh, to let go of his fear. Pastor Han was later martyred. I think we read about him uh, in, in, on April 30th, 2016, because of his bold Christian work. I really wanted to know why he helped North Koreans, because it was dangerous for Pastor Han to help North Koreans there. Sang Chul recall. Pastor Han unconditionally loved us and treated us well. I felt his heart. The more I met with Pastor Han, I felt more his heart came from the Lord. Without God, he wouldn't have helped me. That is why I realized Christianity is a true religion. Like many North Koreans, Sang Chul had experienced extreme poverty and desperation that conditioned him to put his own survival before anyone else's. The poor conditions in North Korea were created by famine, the government's poor management of resources, and the effects of the breakup of the Soviet Union in the 1990s. 
The harsh treatment and meager wages he received working temporary jobs in neighboring China left him even more focused on self-preservation. Then after meeting Christians like Pastor Han, who were ministering selflessly to North Koreans along the border, he encountered Jesus in a life-altering way and became a member of the underground church he at once feared. After I decided to follow Jesus, I had a purpose to go back and forth to China, he said. I came to love other people, and I felt like I didn't want to waste any time. I did my best to spread the gospel in North Korea. It was my purpose. Once I accepted this purpose, I felt like I didn't have enough time to do it. Hundreds of North Koreans, including 700 recently confirmed by Voice of the Martyr Workers, have come to know Christ through the efforts of Sang Chul and other Christians in his network. In North Korea, even sharing the gospel with your husband, wife, or children requires a holy boldness, said Pastor Eric Foley, co-founder and chief executive officer of Voice of the Martyrs in Korea. Even the most passionate evangelists in North Korea typically reach less than a dozen people in their lifetime. Sang Chul and his fellow believers reach 700 people, which shows why the North Korean regime considered Pastor Han such a threat. He had raised up an army of Sang Chuls. Sang Chul spent near years traveling back and forth to China so that he could learn from Pastor Han and serve alongside him. Eventually, he began, began staying in North Korea for longer periods to spread the gospel. As he witnessed to North Koreans, Sang Chul first told them about a true love that could change their lives. After earning their trust, he would begin sharing the gospel more openly, even pulling out a small Bible that he had hidden in his clothing or in a shoe so he could share passages of scripture. Sang Chul increasingly sacrificed time away from his wife and two daughters to serve and evangelize the lost. His quiet, determined efforts led to, a, to small groups of Christians meeting in each other's homes. They worshipped while re, by reciting the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer before praying for their country. They asked God for wisdom, strength, and protection as they continued sharing the gospel. Then one day Sang Chul learned that authorities had arrested a close Christian friend and that a government agent was now searching for him. Unable to return home, he stayed at a friend's house until he could bribe his way across the border to f and flee North Korea. While staying at a discipleship center following his defection, Sang Chul read Tortured for Christ uh, by uh, Richard Warmbrand. The book has been a source of inspiration for Sang Chul as he continues to pray and work to spread the gospel among North Koreans. I was really touched when I read this book, he said. Do you know how many people die for Jesus because of their faith? Even I don't know, and nobody knows their name. And he hears stories of Christians and others suffering inside North Korea. Sang Chol confesses that he feels guilty for experiencing freedom on the outside. I pray that they have even of the moment of feeling happiness, he said. It is okay for them to be martyred, but I really wish they could have a moment where they feel happy. Sang Chul struggles to pray for Kim Jong-un, knowing the atrocities he continues to commit against North Koreans. He kills us like he's killing flies, he said. I just don't understand how I could pray for him, but he is, he is not even a human being. On the one side, he is killing so many people, and on the other hand, he shows up on TV and smiling. That is why I don't think he is a human being. Even now, North Korea is executing so many Christians because of their faith. Sang Chul says he thanks God for Christians in America who pray for North Korean believers and their country. He asks us to pray that he will be less selfish and that his faith will continue to grow. He also asks us to pray that his family will be reunited. Then he said he will again ask more for the gospel. He will risk more for the gospel and his people. He is no longer focused on his own survival, and he says he is happy to die for Jesus. North Korea's government is so cruel. There are so many people who die without other people knowing. I am thinking more and more about how my sacrifice will be worthwhile. Although many of Sang Chul's network have been detained and banished to North Korea's brutal prison camps, the good news of freedom in Christ continues to spread quietly throughout this country. Amen.
Praise God. Amen. So then um, we'll focus especially on North Korea and we'll uh, focus on Egypt, but we'll pray our prayer. Um, The other thing we need to pray for is President Trump's visit to North Korea which uh, is tentative, amen, it's tentatively slated for this coming May. And um, uh, we know that he is surrounded by prayer. My understanding is that uh, he sends prayer requests, his weekly prayer requests to a group of Christians. Um, uh, Mary Colbert is in that group, and uh, you know with Pastor Daryl Scott in Cleveland, uh, all of the pastors who, who have stood by him uh, and prayed for him. Uh, they are uh, aware of what the request, but he is faithful to send his prayer requests in. Most of their meetings are started with prayer. He always has a, a clergyman there, somebody, uh, a Christian there, to lead them in prayer. And he really wants God's help and leadership because it's a big job to turn this country a- around after so many years of, of really oppression of our freedoms in so many ways. Amen. So so we want to pray that. Let me get this organized a little bit. We pray our uh, protection prayer, protection against persecution, so that we, um, we have everything that we need to pray for them. Uh, the prayer request they have is that ask the Lord to keep Bibles and discipleship tools hidden from the eyes of those who would report such resources to authorities and pray that Christians there will mature in their relationship with Christ. Pray for the salvation of Kim Jong-un and other government leaders in North Korea. Pray that their hearts will be turned toward Christ and that they will repent of their sins find God's forgiveness. Despite the severe restrictions on evangelism in North Korea, ask God to open doors so his people can share the gospel and yield a great harvest for the kingdom. Um, The other thing I would want to pray, too, is that God would give our president a special message uh, for Kim Jong-un when he goes there and, and that God's word would be heard in the ears of their president so that I'm sure he surrounds himself with people that he thinks are acceptable but we'll just ask God to do something different uh, with this encounter and uh, let let the gospel be uh, fully shared there. So we're just asking God to get a witness inside of North Korea in the form of our president and, and that he would be able to speak boldly and confidently about the freedoms that we have here, and that is freedom to serve God. So, all right, will you pray in the spirit? Father in heaven, we thank you. We bless you, we praise you, we worship you, we magnify you, Lord, and lift you up. You are worthy to be praised and adored. You are worthy to be praised and adored. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth to receive our blessing and glory and honor and power and praise. And Lord, we ask you to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you, Father, that the blood of Jesus prevails in all situations. It speaks better things. The blood of Jesus speaks a release from sin. It speaks an acceptance in your kingdom. It speaks forgiveness and it speaks uh, a new birth, a new life. It speaks eternal life. And so we thank you for eternal life. We thank you, Father, for witnesses in North Korea and witnesses in Egypt, Father, and witnesses in all 60 of the persecuted nations that we pray for. We thank you, Lord. We pray for Egypt as well. And we thank you, Lord, for the believers there. Thank you, Lord, for their bold and confident witness. We thank you, Lord, for their ability to hear your voice and and comfort them with the comfort that is beyond understanding, Lord. We thank you, Father, to bring a peace over your people in these persecuted nations that they have never experienced before, Father. Let this be an uh, era of a great peace to come upon them, a great peace to come over tortured people, a great peace to come over persecuted people, a great peace that will confound their enemies and confound their adversaries. We thank you, Lord, for that peace. 
We thank you, Lord, for security and safety. We thank you, Lord, for freedom of the gospel because the gospel is never bound it's always free. We thank you, Lord, to give those people unique and cunning ways to share your gospel with those who have not heard. I thank you, Lord, to strengthen the hearts of the believers, that they would die to self every day and be raised up in your great resurrection power, which is the essence of life, Father. Eternal life is the essence of life. So we thank you, Lord, that those people will grab on to you, that they will grab on to you in a great way. And we thank you, Father. We thank you, Lord. We bless you and we praise you. We magnify you. We extol you, Father. We lift you up. 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 You're worthy to be praised. Worthy to be praised. Worthy, worthy, worthy to be praised. You're worthy to be glorified and magnified. You are highly exalted, O God. You're highly exalted above all gods. You're highly exalted, God. You're highly exalted. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, we ask you to forgive us for not seeking more opportunities to share the gospel with people, Lord. We thank you that these people have the gospel, these persecuted people have the gospel on their minds at all times. And I ask you, Lord, to give us a new resolve to have the gospel on our minds at all times. That we would seek new and unique ways to share your love with the people in this earth, Lord, wherever we go. Thank you, Father, that no place is off limits to your gospel, that you want to save everybody, Father. You don't want anybody to perish. You want to save everybody, Lord. So we thank you that everybody is eligible to hear your gospel, and we commit anew to renew ourselves and to renew ourselves in a great way to share your gospel. And we thank you for it, Father. We bless you and we praise you. We pray against persecution, Father. We thank you, Lord, that as we submit to God and resist the devil, he must flee. Satan, we command you to flee from us seven ways. Vengeance belongs to you, O God. Thank you, Lord, that we resist retaliation against our accusers. We are serving you. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? You who sit in the heavens are laughing. Behold, they're threatening. Stretch forth your hand to heal, O God. Do signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. I declare that the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let the ungodly fall by their own counsel. Lord, I thank you to judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my integrity that is in me. Let the mischief of all spiritual forces that persecute us return upon their own heads. Keep us as the apple of the eye. Hide us under the shadow of your wings. Thank you for teaching our hands to war so that the bow of steel is broken in your arms. Thank you. You have given us the necks of our enemies. Shut the mouths of the lions that roar their lives against me and cause the tongue of the wicked persecutors to cling to the roof of the mouth. Stop the pointing of the finger against your servants. Stop those who persecute and point the finger against us without a cause and who hate us. Stop it in the name of Jesus. Lord, we know that it's nothing for you to help. Help us, O Lord. Help your people who are persecuted in Egypt and in North Korea and in China. We thank you, Lord, to help them in Jesus' name. Help us, O Lord, according to your mercy, and let your hands prosper and prevail against our persecuting enemies. We thank you, Lord, but the Lord is with us as a mighty terrible one, and therefore our persecutors shall stumble. They shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed, and they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. We thank you, Lord, that the people, the Christians in each nation shall not die. They will live and declare the works of the Lord. We declare that over Egypt. We declare that over North Korea. We declare that over uh, the 60 persecuted nations, Father. We thank you, Lord, in Egypt and in, in Alchi and Taylor Nadu and Kenya and, and uh, Uganda, Father. All of the places where Christians are persecuted, we thank you, Lord. <clears throat> 
for protection. We decree, Father, that our president will go to, to North Korea with a special message for their president. Give him a message from you, Lord. Let that message be 100% from you. And I thank you, Father, that he will go there in humility under your hand, but he will definitely proclaim the gospel. He will proclaim your love. He will proclaim liberty for the people of that nation. So we thank you for that. We declare your glory over the um, powers of Afghanistan, <clears throat> over Iraq and Iran, over the Middle East and Syria. Father, we declare your glory over these nations. I thank you, Father, that there is no end to your glory. I thank you there is no stopping your glory. I thank you, Lord, there is no stopping the prayers of the righteous because they certainly avail much. So we thank you, Lord, for causing these prayers that we pray today to go far and wide. Let there be a great yield from these prayers, Father, because we are giving you back your word. You have promised these things, Lord, and your promise, your word, will not return void. Your scripture cannot be broken. It must come to pass. So we thank you, Lord, for honoring these prayers. We thank you, Lord, for delivering your people. We thank you, Lord, for loving us and caring for us in every way. And we bless you. We thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen and amen and amen again. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. 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 Lord, we just thank you that your ways are above our ways. Your ways are greater than our ways. They're higher than our ways. And your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Father, I know that many people don't think Donald Trump was chosen by you. But I believe the prophets and I will prosper. And I thank you everybody that believes your prophets will prosper, Father, because they speak from your throne room. I thank you, Father, that you ordain the foolish things to confound the wisdom of the wise and that you know what you are doing. So we thank you to bless him with a special grace. Bless him with special protection as he travels in these uh, wicked, wicked atmospheres. Thank you, Lord, to keep him on your program of delivering your message everywhere that he goes. We love you, Lord. We honor you. We thank you for blessing this nation with a turnaround, a return to morality, a turn to wisdom, a return to you, a return to freedom of worship, and that that would spread all over the earth. So we thank you and we bless you and we praise you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. 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 Well, I love the Lord and I love what he does. There's no programming what God will do. You can't guess at what he will do. And that's for good reason, so that his plans will be successful. If he followed our scripts, it would fail every time. But thank God he doesn't follow man's program. He, he carves out his own way. So all we have to do is obey God. All we have to do is follow. We don't have to think of anything great or wonderful or, or exotic. We just have to obey God. So if anybody wants prayer, I'll pray for you before we leave. And uh, if you put me some music on there, Miss Wanda.